Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast. This is episode 53. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on today's episode, we are, well, chatting a bit about the physics of my DIY high flow version of Bontex CHT version. And if these are a real alternative to Volcano Hot End, then uh, I was kicked from Amazon, my threaded inserts, and I just talk a bit about the backstory there then of course prusa xl was revealed recently and we kind of take a look at the features and see if they are any good and on the topic of features and being smart um prusa xl has a cool new sensor that can um basically measure the force that goes into a filament uh, or that's necessary for the extrusion and another company called bond 3d uses kind of a similar approach to make uh basically perfectly dense parts out of um, a peak polymer and we well just chat about if something like that would also be implementable on a smarter printer like the prusa xl and sticking with the topic of stuff that prusa has done well now creality are also doing a multi-material upgrade. Well, actually, it's a it's a it's a third-party company, but Creality are endorsing that um, as a multi-material to knock off for their own machines. Lastly, we do answer some questions in this episode. Uh, first of all, um, a question from Twitter about a new 3D printing technology that uses individually 2D printed layers, and whether that is something new or just a rehash of something we've seen before. Then a question about thermal fuses, whether printers should use them more or whether they make any sense at all. And lastly, a bit of a meta question. Do we make any money off of this podcast? Tom, you just told me that you, you, you have finally been watching one of my videos. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I usually never watch other 3D printing YouTubers videos because either it's, it's stuff I already know or it's depressing because you're seeing how well others are doing with with content that's like so sloppily done show shows and stuff but yes i finally watched one of your videos um the high flow diy cht nozzle should i call it clone or alternative i guess alternative high <laughs> diy high flow nozzle so so yeah well it is also cht but i think cht is a as a trademark is what a does trademark? it stand for Core heating technology, which isn't a bad name. Yeah. So, yeah. well, the the idea behind the nozzle or the the problem of melting polymers is that they just have a horrible heat conductivity, and it just takes such a long amount of time, even if you're cranking up up the temperatures, that uh, sometimes it can happen that the core of the material is still molten. Uh, still, still solid, and yeah. the outside is 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 uh, is is molten. Which coincidentally happened this morning when I baked my uh, frozen uh, <laughs> my frozen bread, and I cut it open, and I noticed, all right, on the outside it's already <laughs> crunchy, but the core is still frozen. You, you you were baking, you were you were heating up frozen bread. Um, I kind of always do that okay yeah um, no, no, no. It's, it's not not that that's a bad thing you yeah. use the microwave works really well so for oh, the for the bread that i bake i, I usually cut it into like one okay. serving portions and yeah. check in the microwave for 50 seconds 
uh, and it's perfectly fluffy and soft and, and nice again. Well, I do have Aufbackbrötchen. What's what's the what's the proper English word for oh, for Brötchen? Um, uh, rolls. Rolls. Yeah. Dep well, depending on on where you're from, like, but yeah. And you gotta you gotta bake them in the oven because otherwise they're just right. a mushy mess when they uh, come out of the oven. So yeah, that's my my morning routine: baking my uh, frozen rolls and on the weekends uh, uh, frozen croissants. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, it's, it's that's fine. It's fine if you like it. It's <laughs> just a thing yeah. uh, that I do. Well, same problem here. Uh, you you're heating the roll from the outside in. And even if you crank up temperatures a lot, it can still happen that the core is frozen. And that's the same thing with the core heating technology. So with a nozzle, yeah. uh, they, they are putting just metal parts on the inside that you can, they might have the chance to heat a filament from the inside out and from the outside in, um, effectively giving you higher melt capability. Yeah, you, you get more surface contact area of um, your hot nozzle mm. geometry with the filament, mm. which it's coincidentally is also the reason why, why 1.75 heats better than 3 millimeter. Have you, have you, have you tested that? Um, I have not because I think I only my Mendel 90, which I converted to, to 1.75 years and years back, still has the capability for three millimeter filament. Ooh, that's but, but Tom, the thing is, if you're printing at the same extrusion rates, three millimeter filament will stay longer in the heat zone in the, or in the melt zone. Correct. So this is an effect so, that can go in both directions. Yeah, um, from what I know, I think E3D have done some, some re research on that a couple of years ago, and they did find that 1.75 does effectively allow you to print faster um, with the same nozzle length. Um, even though, yes, as you're correct, the filament stays, uh, three millimeter filament stays in the heated zone of the nozzle longer, but because conductivity is such mm. a big problem, um, you, you end up with less heat transferred into mm. the filament or into the core of the filament. Yeah. So it is not only surface area, as you just said, it's also the distance from the outside right. to the center. Right. Um, and, before making that video, I talked to Carl, who's the owner of uh, 3D Solex, who is also the patent holder of the core heating technology. And he said that the effect of the core heating technology with three millimeter filament is even higher as with 1.75. Yeah. I think one of the reasons is, of course, the distance to the center and also that the um, thin bores that you have in a nozzle, they restrict flow quite a bit just by yeah flow resistance when when the polymer is is really flowing through the part and um, when you increase the diameter also the the drag in the nozzle decreases and that might be also one of the reasons why why this is better um i haven't really i haven't really investigated that yet and i think for the moment uh, there are rarely any besides ultimaker there aren't any like for the do they still have three millimeter filament yeah, also on the Sigma? Yeah, I, I used the, the Sigma D25. I tested that a couple of weeks ago and it still uses three millimeter filament. Okay. Uh, that, and the, that's the only option. You cannot get them as 1.75. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, spots. Load spot, yeah, I was going to say, you get the option of using uh, three yeah. or 1.75. Yeah. But other than that, it's all 1.75 anyways. I would say like the market share, when you take a look at 
filament production. Oh yeah, I can say sure. I, I, I maybe need to need to ask one of my contacts, but I would bet that the market share is maybe ten percent or even less. Yeah, for three millimeter filament, it, you, you might get an you might get an offset there because the people who who buy three millimeter filament, uh, three millimeter printers like Ultimakers mm. uh, and Sigmas, they really use those printers and they have very mm. little idle time. But overall, yeah, I think you're you're onto onto the right number there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, essentially, and looking what, at sorry. <laughs> so essentially what you're doing with the, with the CHT is you're splitting that filament into three smaller strands. Mm. Um, so if you had a three millimeter CHT nozzle, those bores would be roughly 1.75 as far as I know, because mm. the surface area is three yeah. times large. So yeah, you, you were going to say something? Um, Not anymore. Okay. What did you want to say? Not anymore. Forgot it. So the... You, you DIY'd that with a, with just soldering in some some copper wire through the nozzle mm. um, crosswise, and then you you made up for the uh, flow restriction by by widening that bore. Um, so you you tried point eight millimeter wire. Have you have you have you thought about using thinner wire with that? Yes, just to I do. The flow um, risk and more yes, wires inserted. Um, I just did not have the time yet okay. to to try out all of the options. I would really like to do like a big DOE uh, comparing the number of wires and also the diameter. Um, looking at the CHT nozzle, for example, the the part where heat can really conduct from the outside in isn't isn't that big. So yeah. um, I guess the conductivity of the metal isn't a problem, which would also um, mean that you could work with thinner wires and those thinner wires still have enough heat conductivity to put that heat into the center of the part because in the end polymer heat conduction is by a factor of like two magnitudes lower yeah. than brass yeah so you it, it doesn't matter if you're using brass copper or which thickness of that metal you're using you're mm. still going to be limited by the by the polymer yeah um yeah, well, this is this is something that I've that I've thought about a, a couple of years ago already. Um, like, what happens if you if you like machine the inside of a nozzle of of the threaded part? Um, mm-hmm. You have it split in two. You machine like a star shaped pattern into mm-hmm. that, and then you braze them together and braze like the the hex on the bottom, mm-hmm. um, just to give you maximum surface area but but like i said the the penetration into the into the filament into the polymer might be a bigger factor there yeah um so what i really want to try out is what's the english name for for reumann um for so the tools that yeah. you're using, for example to add a hex pattern into into broaching if you do broaching um I have been buying Torx brooches because with Torx you have right, that yeah, star, star pattern. pattern. And I think a Torx 6 has an internal diameter. The um, Torx 6 is tiny. It's tiny, but like the internal diameter is then still like 1.2 millimeters and the outside diameter is around 1.82 millimeters. Sorry, no, it, it's I think a little above 2 millimeters. No worries. <laughs> Let me grab a Torx 6 because I do happen to have a full bit set here. Oh. Um, and yeah, just take it like, well, you, you can really take standard nozzles. Um, you so need to have one that is not drilled. Is a Torx 6. Wow, focuses. Huh. 
so so it's it's in the right size dimension or in the size in the right size range and the question is if the increase of come on does it work there, yeah there you go yeah so the outside diameter is i think a little bit above two millimeters which makes it i think kind of suitable for for that application and with the increase of surface area that you're having is this also already sufficient to improve the melt behavior two points would be 2. really 5. interesting 2.05 so yeah. um then you have torx 8 which is just a little bit higher so there's some variation um where you uh yeah could, could vary parameters and the thing is of course you could um cut into two parts, a nozzle, and then machine it from the inside. But that's not really something that you would do on an industrial scale. Yeah, 2.42, 2. that's that's still Towards totally eight. working well for nozzle yeah. applications. Um, because cutting cutting them into, into different parts, brazing them together, or as I did it, just like drilling them and adding wires and things like that, this is not something that you would do on an... Nah like industrial scale no if you if you have like an 80 dollar premium yeah. enthusiast nozzle like yeah. the um the ruby nozzles or something if you yeah. go into that market yeah. yes maybe but it's not gonna be any any sort of a volume product but the nice thing about bontex cht nozzle they're selling those nozzles for 20 bucks which is really good that's which less is... than a than a slice engineering standard nozzle exactly and this is one of the reasons why I find this design so nice and so competitive because it is not something where you have a big paywall. Um, if you have a proper CNC lathe or five axis milling thing or whatever, you can yeah. produce those parts um, automatically uh, without any manual intervention. And for this reason, they can sell those nozzles for 20 bucks. So, and if they are selling them for 20 bucks, manufacturing costs them 10 bucks or even less than 10 bucks. And they're, yeah. they're even nickel plated. Um, yeah, I was going to ask that, like, they, they are, they look like they're plated with something because they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're nickel brass based material, brass. right? Okay. Yeah. Um, that's really good. I, I yeah. did not expect Bontic to make such a, such an affordable product because typically they, they are in the premium market. They, their stuff Ooh. is rather expensive. Yeah. But I guess this is one of the reasons why the, the nozzle is currently selling so well. Of course, after my video, they have been totally sold out yeah. uh, pretty quickly. But um, I, I think they're still selling those nozzles very well. And I think it's a nice product just because it is affordable. It doesn't cost you 50, 60, 70 bucks. It's less than, a, than an upgrade to a Volcano, right? So, And it gives you comparable yeah, performance. Now, the question is, are there downsides with using a CHT versus using a standard nozzle? Is it, would you see that, you, would you see the CHT as just a, a universal drop-in with no downsides? For the moment, honestly, and I was, I was really looking for reasons to stay with a volcano. I haven't found any downsides of the CHT besides, of course, material compatibility, because these nozzles are not wear resistant, the oh, CHD right, right. ones. Yeah. So you can use them for um, like glow in the dark or fiber filled materials. But besides that, sure. uh, they are have a higher possible flow rate 
than a volcano nozzle. They ooze less because there's less material heated in the nozzle. Yeah. Um, the hot end is shorter and is therefore not so prone to vibrations and, and all of that. I didn't really heat find... Heat break doesn't get as much load as with the longer um, exactly. nozzles and, and, and heater blocks. So it's it's really just a straight up upgrade. Yep. In my opinion, yes. And well, I honestly felt a bit bad for B3D at that point because I, am I now, am they now taking market share from, from E3D? But yeah, I think that's just development. And I, I see this as, as a really nice innovation I was hoping for for ages. Yeah. The, I mean, feel bad for E3D. Yes. Yes. They're people. Sure. They're people. <laughs> they're a company that they've been with 3D printing for a long while, but. You know, when there's a, a product that is that is just better than than what's out there, like why yep. why would you feel bad for 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 the others? E3D are innovating too; they're, they're putting out the Revo and stuff, um, but it's it's going into a different direction. And yep. more good options is always good. Um, yep. There's always the talk of oh yeah, more options is better. But if if like your alternatives are worse in some ways, that's not that that's not worth anything. But if you have some other option that is mm either universally better or just better mm. in, in one specific way. Like, yeah. th- I, I'm, I'm all for that. Of course, the CHD yeah. is patented. Yeah, but that's... Uh, but so is E3D stuff, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. That's, that's good. I guess it's nice. It's, it's really nice to see that innovations like this are still happening in FDM 3D printing where many said for years, okay, FDM 3D printing is dead. It's all just NL3 clones and things like that. But... There are things happening day in, day out. Um, CHT nozzle, I find it really nice. I just have the 0.4 millimeter version installed on my machine because before they didn't have a 0.4 millimeter version because they said, okay, CHT is for high flow printing. And usually you are high flow printing when you have a bigger nozzle installed. So they had a 0.6 up to 1.8 millimeters. Honestly, 0.6 is is fine is is totally suitable for most stuff you're going to be printing yeah. uh you're going to be printing the exact same detail almost the exact same detail but you're going to save so much time uh with mm-hmm. a point six. now looking at uh at the warren behind me my my, my 2.4 what do you think would happen if you put a cht into a uh mosquito magnum plus because that thing already screams and and do you think it would make a difference or is it just, uh, what's it called? I, I, th- I think only like really on the high range. Um, I haven't, I don't have like a, a section view of the Magnum. It's, it's all straight. It Magnum Plus. It's all, all straight. straight. It's, a, it's a huge copper block um, at the bottom with a standard yeah. nozzle in there. Yeah. So the thing is, and this is something I also fa- uh, found during my comparison, is a longer melt zone. Yeah, it's nice. It, it helps that the material stays in the melt zone for longer. So there's more time for the, the just the energy to get to the core. Yep. But the downside of a longer heat zone is also that it adds drag in the extrusion path. And that also limits flow rate again. Yeah. Um, so adding a CHT, of course, you can push it even more. Um, but I think just, and this is what I have seen, a 0.6 millimeter nozzle in a standard heat block can already give you 60, 70 cubic millimeters a second. That's what the Mosquito Pro Plus or whatever it's called, uh, can right. do. Yeah. Yeah. 
And at that at point, a really affordable price. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the Mosquito Magnum Plus is what four hundred bucks, roughly. Yes, it's 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 pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, at, at that speed, you are already running into kinematics limitations. Like almost no printer can handle that sort of amount of flow. That that sort of amount. Of, that sort of flow. Um, so yeah. Siege, the, siege of course, um, but we see more and more Core XY printers coming onto the market. Uh, we'll talk about the Prusa XL later. Yep. Kinematics is one thing. If you have a, a bigger nozzle, um, kinematics aren't true. Kinematics if you, if you're aren't increasing flow rates by by wider and taller layers. Yes, exactly. But, but what if what if you don't want to give up your your point one five or point two millimeter layer height? What if you don't want to increase that? Then you will need to increase course. linear speed. Yeah, the I guess the even bigger problem that I found out is is cooling. You need to cool that amount yeah. of plastic, uh, and especially with PLA, if you don't have a really really good uh, cooling solution, of course. Uh, CHD, for example, gives you uh, the option to print two times, three times faster. But if your cooling solution is is not good, it doesn't really help you yeah. because all your part just stays mushy all of the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Maybe maybe one last thing. Um. Thinking about like wh- how how could improve how could it improve the the super magnum plus. Um, <laughs> You in in your video of the DIY nozzle, we're talking about um, how you get uh, die swell and how the internal stresses of your molten filament are are a factor mm-hmm. when it comes to how stuff warps afterwards. Yep. Um, in a volcano plus, uh, God, I keep mixing these up. In a E3D super volcano um, or in a mosquito magnum plus, we just have a long straight melt zone. You still run mm. the risk that you're you're inside. Um, your very core of your filament isn't thoroughly mm. heated. There might still be a temperature gradient. That there most definitely still is. Um, do you think that with installing a CHT on the end of a um, Magnum Plus, could that relieve some of those internal stresses by heating it more thoroughly internally? I guess, but I, I think that's just really if you're going to to the limit of your what your hot end is is, is capable of. Yeah, doing. obviously, obviously, we're going to the limit. Like every everything else is figured out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I find it a really interesting topic and I have so much stuff I, I still really want to try out because it opens so much opportunities, especially just for, you don't have to go through all of the hassle, hassle of changing to, to volcano hot end and things yeah. like that. Um, and the interesting part for me is figuring out the edge cases and how you can really distinguish if one is better than the other. Yeah. And of course, um, melt rate is easily measurable, but in the end, this is not everything. Of course, cooling and things like that, but internal stresses, stresses that are still in the material. And you, you definitely see that uh, due to the melt swell of, um, at, at the higher extrusion rates. Um, this is another parameter that you can take into the equation and in the end say, okay, this solution might be better than another one. Yeah. But, but even with, even with melt rate, when you're saying melt rate is easy to measure, um, you're not, I mean, yes, you're measuring one thing, but the results might not be comparable. Um, like is one, it, it might be able to melt it at the same push force, but your result mm-hmm. might not be the same. Exactly. So, yeah. 
lots of stuff still to investigate and, and people are people are liking the content so yeah yeah <laughs> of course that, that's that's uh, probably one of the reasons why i also uh, keep pushing it um, yeah, it's, and... absolutely you'd, you'd be you'd be stupid not to yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's you enjoy doing that you know it's, uh, like, like what I said what I said at, at the beginning of, of this of this episode like hey it, it kind of frustrates me seeing others being so successful with this stuff because I, I, I always like I, I feel like I'm, I'm just looking at okay what's what do I need to do next oh yeah this printer needs to be reviewed um, uh, yeah that that topic I said I would do and then you just come along and say hey yeah this could be really cool. Let's let's just do that. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of mad at myself for not figuring out those 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 interesting little pockets. Um, I don't know. I I think I do have. I I wouldn't call it a gift, but um, finding topics, finding topics that are still niches, uh, where I can on the one side do content that is interesting for a broad audience but still add this yeah. additional value by going into the physics and just go digging a little bit deeper uh, than others and um, I'm I'm always happy to see when so many are watching the video that there is a huge audience for that also yeah. like really technical stuff of course I have to pack it in something that is spectacular and things like that but that's just how youtube works yeah. and people are not mad about that yeah and, and finding finding that sweet spot where it's something where that people can relate to but it's mm -hmm. still adding something that they've not seen that is that is the absolute yeah. perfect spot and you figured that out um you're probably going to pass me soon in, in subscribers and i i very much applaud you for that I think that's still still going to take a while, but yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, honestly, you're probably going to be at 400,000 quicker than I am, so. I I don't think so. Ah, ah, we'll see. Only, only, if I, only if I would start uh, with YouTube shorts, maybe. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Something, okay. something, something. No, I, I decided to not do, do that or... I would be interested in that, but on the other hand, ah, I don't know. I've, I've, I don't so have, have enough time for that. I've you thought about. I, I you did, did short. two shorts. Yeah, just tried the format for for fun, just to see like what it's like to to make that sort mm -hmm. of content. But I've thought about um, having my my editor edit down the content I already have to like a TikTok format or a shorts format. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like have a have a short little intro um, that I record mm -hmm. separately, and then just the main video like down to 30 seconds because most stuff you can't compress you're just leaving out a lot but mm. um i thought about that as well and but the question is how would you post that would you start with a tom tom's shorts channel would you post it on your main channel is it only something for tiktok instagram yeah youtube youtube is not youtube's doing a pretty poor job generally recently but also with like keeping the different types of of content apart so you have your, your regular fully edited produced videos you have your shorts and you have your live streams and those three possibly reach a very different audience mm. and as of year you can't really say hey i'm interested in the shorts i'm interested in the regular mm. videos and i'm interested in live streams um so i think there's, there's not enough separation there would i do it in a separate channel i i don't think so because i i think the shorts are somewhat separated away but not, i don't know <sighs> 
There is a lot. There is a ton of potential. Just look at Mars Gizmo, for example, Adrian. It's it's crazy how I just I think I checked his stats today or something like like that. Like he has as many views every day as I have like in a whole year. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Um, But on the other hand, this is content. Yeah, of course, it's already a bit monetized, but it's not making like a a ton of revenue compared to like normal views and the thing that is always interesting if you have channels that do a lot of shorts but then do a regular video and you see the 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 ratio between normal views of a shorts video and views of a regular video that um is for (sighs) viewers that relate to the channel and find like the content i think in general interesting it, it's always crazy because sometimes it's like two millions every short video to like 10 or fifteen thousand for a regular video which is all right like if you've if you've not built a an audience for the regular videos that is good for for a normal video i'd say um of course like you you're doing like two hundred thousand views every every video within two weeks um but like you've built your audience based on people who watch the normal stuff yeah um yeah youtube's youtube's weird um YouTube, i, I yeah. don't think they know what they're what they're doing mm. you know removing the dislike button that's <laughs> why why yeah. nobody understands but it's well yeah I, it's it's obvious that youtube's goal is to, to have people spend more time on the platform yeah. What better way to have people spend more time on the platform when they have to dig through a dozen videos to find the one they actually want to watch, the one that's actually good, like tutorials. I yeah. I think we've talked about this before. I don't watch tutorial videos if I'm actually looking for a solution to a problem. I, I watch Blender tutorials and stuff for fun. Um, but when I when I want to learn how I do something in Resolve or in, in Affinity Photo, uh, I go to text articles because I can scroll through them. Uh, somebody posted, somebody tweeted uh, about that where, where it was like, okay, when I want to find something, I want random access information where I can decide where I want to pick and not sequential <laughs> access. I don't want to, I don't want to watch or I don't want to listen to a tape audio cassette for, uh, you know, where we have to, where it plays start and then it plays linear like in, mm-hmm. in a video. I want to be able to, to look at this stuff. And I don't know why I'm even talking about this, but yeah. <laughs> Just a, just a side because not, because not having likes is is yes. ma- makes it yes, hard to exactly. filter between like good content and bad content. Because if you're going on a tutorial which has like two thirds downvotes, you already know okay something's wrong there. Let's look for another one. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, you were kicked from Amazon. I was kicked what, from Amazon. What, 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 what's happening there? Were you doing like uh, we're gonna give you a ten euro discount for a positive review or what's what's that? That's like the yeah, classic. Of, of, of course, that's uh, that's uh, that's what we did. No, um, yeah, I, I guess just like starting selling your own content comes with trap. No, not contents, uh, your own products comes yeah. with traps. So, uh, yeah, we were selling all, all threaded inserts on Amazon and they were going really well. And, and people like them, especially for example, the, the quarter inch inserts for camera threads. Yeah. And then just one morning, the whole like Amazon page was gone and we received an email. Uh, more or less somebody complained that, um, there wasn't the whole address of the seller on the package 
And this is against Amazon regulations. So you're kicked from Amazon. On the, so on the if pack on the package? Packaging. On the packaging. On, on the okay, so on the packaging of on your the actual plastic product. Bag. Yeah. Okay. So I, I guess um the whole name and address needs to be on the packaging. And um also the material of the packing bag that you can recycle it in the end. Um hmm. I'm thinking and hmm. of course maybe I'm a bad person there, but of course we were not the only one s selling threaded inserts and one of the competitors saw okay, this guy is now also getting into the business. Uh let's see if they are of doing course. everything right. Of course. And they kicked us of course yeah we we didn't do that properly like yeah. i don't really blame myself because that stuff is handled like by my by my business partner and he probably didn't research that stuff properly and um the problem is that of course yeah we can now just relabel the packages and, and get everything back um to amazon um, which we already started. And for example, the short insert sets are already available again. But we made the mistake of putting our whole inventory um, in the Amazon storage. Um, right. And the problem is Amazon is blocking those articles for the next 30 days that they can still fulfill pending orders and things like that. And only at that point, you can say, okay, I want to have our products back right. that we can relabel them and get them back online. So yeah, it's a whole month lost for just um, that phase. Now they need, it, need to send them back to us. Then we need to relabel them. Then we need to get them back to Amazon. That's basically eight weeks of of, yeah. of revenue lost due to that incident. And, yeah. um, and unless you buy new stock, which you probably can't do as as quickly, you buy new stock and and refill their stock with no. properly labeled stuff. But yeah, good luck getting currently getting yeah. uh, products from 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 China at the at the moment. But yeah, of course, I kind of understand that business practice. Uh, because, well, why are we doing everything right if, if they're not doing them? But I still find it kind of shady. And that, that others are reporting you so, and you're getting kicked? That somebody else just okay. reported us. Because <laughs> who it, is... It, it is... Yeah. It's, it's, it is how it is. You know, I, I, it is how it is. Uh, don't hate the player, hate the game kind of thing. I don't know yeah. if you're selling on Amazon. Um, yeah. I don't know if I, if I told that story where we're selling just, you know, used PC parts. I was selling a graphics card and stuff on eBay. Um, I think I was selling like a 1070 or something. Um, and another seller reported me. Um, or not, well, they, they didn't report me, but they sent me a cease and desist um, with their lawyer. And they were like, well, you're going to pay us 450 euros for not including a clickable link to the EU. Um, mm. What's it called? Schreitschlichtstelle. Yeah. Um, to their, well, where, 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 where per buyers can complain and they, they take care of that. Um, the link was there, which was just not clickable. It wasn't the blue clickable link. The text was there, but it was not clickable. And they were like, well, you're, you're, that, that's, that's a crime. Uh, and we're not gonna, we're not gonna sue you, but, you know, well, we're, we're not gonna sue you if you pay us 450, um, euros. We're not gonna yeah. sue you for, for unfair competition or whatever it is. Mm. So. I, I was like, well, what, what, what are you going to do? I asked, I asked the lawyer myself and they were like, well, 
you you were in the wrong they were in the right deal with it <laughs> um it is how it is yeah and it's it's interesting i understand it there are regulations that you need to comply to and it's good that many of these most of these regulations are there because uh that makes products safer that makes recycling safer that makes um everything many things it, better it for the consumer the playing field right yeah it's, but still if if somebody would be really mad they would have sent us a cease and desist if it would be just a competitor it's of course way better for them if they kick us from amazon for eight weeks because that's eight weeks yeah. more for them selling their products and, and eight and weeks you less having a lot of uh, a lot of extra work now so <sighs> yeah it is as it is uh yeah, and plus, if you sell on, on Amazon, you are Amazon's. <laughs> yeah, you, am, you. We are we are currently actively looking for for other resellers. Amazon, yeah. on the one hand, is really nice because they handle all of the distribution around Europe, yeah. Prime shipping. Uh, they are on the one hand cheap, but on the other hand, with Prime shipping comes, of course. The shipping part is kind of taken a bit from your cut. So yeah. if you are, um, I don't know, selling a product for, for 20 bucks, Amazon is still taking like five bucks. And can you, can you publicly say that? Or is that like non-public information? I actually do not have the right numbers because okay. my business partner is, is, is responsible for that. And <laughs> I'm just hoping for a big, big paycheck at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, but yeah, the problem is that, um, also you gotta deal with, with these problems and, and Amazon is kind of hard. So for example, you have the responsibility. If somebody is posting a question under your product, you have to answer within 24 hours. If you don't do that, mm. your article is gone. Oh, really? They, they delist you. Yeah. Wow. They, I don't know if they directly delist you or if you're getting a strike and things like that, but yeah, that's happening. So they're really strict. If you have ever asked for a, for a, um, for an invoice for an article that you purchased, this is right. also one of the reasons why you always get those invoices within a couple of hours. Okay. Because okay. if they well, would it, not respond, it makes it that that's something I can really understand. The thing with the question on the article is like, yeah. Okay, sometimes people just ask dumb stuff and you still need to respond yeah. to that. But with an invoice, like I'm buying stuff for the company, for the business, um, I need an invoice. And if there's a seller mm. on there that doesn't provide one, that's just like you can't tell before you buy something. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, there, I mean, yeah, there, there is a reason why I, so far, every chance that I would have gotten to have a physical product that gets sold somewhere, I, mm. I, I, didn't touch that with a tin foot pole. Like I was like, okay, no. physical product. Ah, uh -uh. too many pitfalls, too many, yeah. too many responsibilities. I'm, yeah. I'm thankful that you're going through these right now and you're figuring <laughs> that all out. Um, but yeah, it's I, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. It's, it's the reason why I've never done it. Yeah. Um, how, how and I can just recommend that you are looking that you at least have somebody who's who's looking for that stuff because doing yeah. that in video production at the same time is just killing you exactly i was i was going to say that like you cannot do that just as a side thing you, you mm. do, you're already well loaded mm. with your you already have plenty of a workload with your regular stuff yeah. and then just adding that on top uh -huh. <laughs> yeah yeah 
physical products. Uh, a big physical product. Biggest. A really is big it, one. Is it the biggest physical product they've made yet? I think it is. The Prusa XL. If we yep. don't, I mean, if we discount the, uh, the the printing center they showed in Dubai. Um, but yeah. So Prusa yeah, XL. next next topic. Uh, yes, yes. If, 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 sorry, sorry, listeners, views. If you didn't notice that, we're moving on to the next topic. The Prusa XL is now officially announced. It's not out yet, but it's been announced and it's been shown, and it's going to happen. Q two, yep. Q three, twenty twenty two is when it's uh, shipping. What do we have? Core XY. I think. I think it was the obvious choice. Yeah. For for something like that. Uh, but Core extruder. Core XY. Wait, wait. We have Core XY on top, and then the bed moves down. So Core XY, static XY, and then the bed is mm -hmm. just moving on the z-axis. Unlike yeah. so, what what is that like? War on one. The yes, this is not Sidewinder as. That's an artillery printer. That's a different. Machine. Yeah. 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 Two two point four has the entire toolhead uh, moving with the bed static and the switch wire. Switch, switch wire. wire. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Core XY. Thirty six centimeters cubed. Yeah. Pretty big. Um. Even compared. So. Obvious comparison is the tool changer. Uh, E3D tool changer. It has two hundred by three hundred by four hundred. Or three fifty. Don't know. Uh, Voron, the usual Voron 2.4s. Of course, you can um, build them at different sizes, but usually people are building them with 300 or 350 cubes. Yeah, 350 is the bigger size. So you can build them 250, 300, uh, 350 minus 300. Um, okay. And it's a pretty large machine. Mm -hmm. So thinking about like this would add another, yeah, 50 millimeters. It's, it's quite a substantial machine, the EDXL. Yeah. Um, it is using a heated bed that has 16 segments. So it's not one large bed. It is using individual nine by nine centimeter, uh, segments that not only they can, um, turn on and off individually, but they can also regulate them individually as far as I understand. Yeah. Um, so if you just have a smaller print, you're only heating up a section of the bed, which saves, I mean, with a bed that large, that saves a significant amount of, of energy in the end. Unfortunately, we, we didn't talk about that before they released it because, um, I have been thinking about what could be like the new big Prusa innovation thing for the XL. And one of the things I was always, I always thought, okay, if you have, or what I'm always upset about if I have such a big machine is the big heated bed. And if you're not printing big parts on it, it just heats up your room, yeah. choose, uses a, a lot of energy and things like that. So I actually would have bet on a bed that is like where you have a variable heater size. I would have suspected, and I can't remember where I have seen that before. Um, I would have suspected maybe like a two heater zone thing. Like you have one heater zone in the middle, which is 200 right. by 200 and, uh, then an outer one. But the solution they made now, I really like. Yeah. I, 
so so on 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 variable variable heater sizes my my middle nine thousand it's actually behind me there used to have a double heater so the old 214 millimeter actually also mm-hmm. designed by prusa back then um heater pcbs i had two on those side by side and i could turn mm-hmm. on individually each one so i could do yeah. half the size or i could do double the size and just save power like that um the problem of course if you stitch that together and the problem we have with uh, with PCB heaters in general, if you don't support them well, is they bow um, because mm-hmm. of thermal expansion on one side. One side's a bit hotter than the other. And on that heater PCB on the Mendel 9, I don't know what, what I was calling back then, um, I could measure as much as half a millimeter of flex easily as the as the printer was heating up. And then as the PCB was or the, the heat was regulating, you could still see... Um, you could still see it bounce up and down. So during mm-hmm. a print, your your entire print would basically bounce. The hot end was okay, but the print underneath it would move around. So that's something that they're saying they are solving by not just having one large heater that has a center zone and an outside mm-hmm. zone, because they could have done that too with a PCB, yeah. um, but by actually splitting it into individual non-connected mm-hmm. little bits. And if they have four by four, that's, yeah, nine centimeter by nine centimeters by yeah. nine centimeters, which is... A really tiny and I think nicely manageable size and I think a very good solution. It makes the thing really complex because you have 16 thermistors probably. Um, yeah. You, I guess, probably have a, a distribution circuit with MOSFETs below the bed because you don't want to wire each bed through the cable chain. And what I have read in here but not totally understood is you can't like just say okay i want this and this and that grid activated there is some kind of a um a pattern involved i don't know if they're doing a multiplexing thing um so as i have understood it you can't just say okay i want the four squares in the middle activated and the rest are off i think you have to you have to do line by line or something like that or in a specific segment they're, um, they're saying it is individually controlled nine by nine segments um no i i, I don't know the, the video i think suggests that you can really individually turn them on and off but okay. it's going to be Could handled be by, by prusa slicer i assume um that prusa it, it would be handled by prusa slicer yeah that it automatically detects yeah. okay your print is covering these areas it is mm. that close to the next one okay we yeah. need to turn that one on or off yeah. and that should it's relatively trivial um so yeah heated bed great thing reading out thermistors multiplexer yeah no, no big deal actually uh, and then controlling them, you just add a, you just add a, an extra microcontroller, like on, uh, okay. some some small uh, 32-bit, mm. whatever costs pennies, if you can get yeah. them. If you can't get them, they're, they're like 15 bucks each. But <laughs> yeah, um, so so that's the heated bed. That is that is really great to see. Um, of course, not it's not a necessary feature. It's just a hey, we're going to save some energy. We're going to he- save some heat buildup inside the machine. Um, mm-hmm. it's, you don't have to have a segmented bed. You could just chuck a two kilowatt bed in there and say, Hey, we're, we're going to heat the entire thing every mm-hmm. time, but hey, it's, well, it, of course it's, it's a feature. I think it's a nice feature and also it goes into the right direction, but the argument with the less distortion 
due to the due to due to the individual segments i guess is is a valid point where you could say in the end okay i need less um mesh yeah, compensation but it, it, you like could that. you could do that without controlling every single one individually i guess yeah if they're if they're close enough in heating power you could yeah. just uh, wire them and daisy them. chain them yeah, yeah or yeah. series whatever um then they've got the nextruder um so the next shooter is a is an extruder um so filament pusher that not only uses a new gyroid um gearbox that has a what is it do, do they say what gear ratio that they're using 1 to 20 1 to 20 so typically you have like a 1 to 3 or 1 to 3 point something um gear ratio on your typical Hemeras or Bontex or whatever uh 1 to 20 so you're extruder stepper motor is going to be spinning really fast in this one no it won't it won't it won't because the extruder gear is way bigger oh you're right you're right yes haha and this is the interesting thing so if you just scroll scroll a little bit down in the uh on the blog post, you can see that the diameter is, I would say, around 50 millimeters, 40, maybe 40, 30 millimeters, something like that, of at way higher than the standard. I think the Bonte gears have eight to 12 millimeters, something in somewhere that, that direction. Ballpark, yes, if we Extrusion. need to, we need to be precise here about the Bontek gears because there is the Bontek yeah. gears and there is the Bontek LGX gears. Um, yeah. And the LGX is Bontek's large gear extruder, um, yeah. which obviously Prusa are emulating here with that gear. I don't know if they're using uh, gears made by Bontek. They were using genuine Bontek wheels with gears on the on mm-hmm. the Mark III. Um, but this is basically that concept. So yeah. With a larger wheel, um, of course, you get a larger contact patch on the filament. So you, you're not just concentrating your, your drive force on one or two teeth, but you have a, you have more teeth engaged at the same time. Mm. And what they're also doing is, so it's it's only driven from one side. So on, you, you don't have the dual drive mm. side, which what, what was that um, issue 100 and something, um, the inconsistent extrusion on the yes. Mark III. Yeah. Um, so you're getting rid of that. Um, that's that's not a thing anymore. But what they're doing is they have an idler um, that pushes against that wheel, but they have two bearings in there. So you have not just one contact patch, but you have two contact patches against that wheel. So you're again doubling the contact of the drive wheel with the filament. Yeah. This is actually uh, something that is worrying me a little bit. Um, because you're I'm happy the that bending the filament, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm happy that Prusa that they have their carbon fiber filled piece uh, polycarbonate blend, but especially with either carbon fiber filled materials, um, they are sometimes a little bit brittle. But then there are also other materials like PVA or. I don't know, special filaments, wood-filled ones, and, and things like that, that tend to be a little bit brittle. And I do fear a bit that this could become a problem. Yeah. It looks, like, it looks like they're putting quite the bend on it because they are conforming the filament to that mm. diameter of the of the drive wheel. And like you said, the drive wheel is like 40 millimeters, so you're basically bending uh, your filament in a 20 millimeter radius. Yeah. Which you can't do with many filaments without it actually either snapping or permanently deforming. So 
I I would assume that either that, that there must be like a single a single idler wheel option, right? Um, they they can't force everyone to use the double wheels. If I can't really say it from the picture, but maybe you just have to to replace the idler arm. But then you run yeah. into the problem again that you only have a single sided extruder, which works. They'll give you the same contact patch or, or better contact patch area than uh, on a on a classic dual drive system. Yes, of course, just due to the diameter and more um, more of the gear is is just engaged with the filament but but still this was one of the things i said okay yeah nice option or nice choice there with the um what did they say zero backlash cycloidal gearbox but bending the filament that way i think that might be an issue for some materials but we'll see they i hope they do their engineering properly yeah i would expect that Prusha does like to live on the on the bleeding edge a bit more than than others. Um, I'm I'm trying to see how uh, cookies off off off. I'm trying to see how Bontek actually does it um, on the LGX. Um, they have the, two of these big right. uh, gears. Yeah. No. So the LGX is still a dual drive extruder. Okay. Exactly. Right, so you have the next extruder. The next extruder um, with the large gear, with the um, cycloidal gearbox, you also have a, a load cell in there that measures whether you have, um, well, a clock nozzle and filament flow, and that they can measure all that and, and either uh, throw an error or correct for it real time somehow. Um, like we were previously discussing with, discussing with, <laughs> talking is hard today, um, with the, uh flow rates Hydra decrease muscle. yes yeah. exactly you you were measuring uh, on that how much the flow decreases as you push mm-hmm. faster maybe they're correcting for that though the filament's not going to be heated well then but maybe they're correcting for that automatically um, yeah they have the data now and um the question in the end is what do you do with this data but if you are processing it properly there's definitely the option and this is like the added smartness that i was really looking forward on those machines because well the xl is in its cheapest version um as a kid's two thousand bucks so this is not something that you buy yourself for a first printer but if you want to do like serious maybe higher production or high um high volume or big size printing and you are happy for every bit of smartness that maybe pauses your printer when you have a jam or when the filament runs out and and all of these things because fails can be expensive and with this sense especially at that size right yep and that smartness is nice and they are also using the same sensor for nozzle for bed leveling with the nozzle so right. they don't have yeah. they don't have the pinda probe anymore they don't have the um temperature shift problem that the pinda had in its first iteration they are doing the same thing as creality did with their cr6se yeah yeah exactly yeah. how Where, i i i think i keep coming back to this but how did how, how is ultimaker 3 doing it Think also with- Ultimaker 3 is doing it with a piezo electric sensor. Okay, but so it's different sensor, but same idea. Different sensor, but same idea. Yeah. Um, and 
they've been doing it for years and it works yeah. fine. Um, I don't know how good it will work if you have one of these really rough uh, PEI coded pads. Right. But I find it a they, really nice solution. I mean, what, what, it, what it can definitely do is just take multiple readings, just like move around by a couple of millimeters yeah. in, in each direction and just get an average. Yeah. Should be should be good enough. Or you yeah. can you can see like a min max and just pick the pick the median. Yeah. Um then the hardened on the on the Excel, like what, what what's it gonna be? Is it gonna be a Revo? Kinda. Kinda. So it looks like um from the video though that they're not really confirming what exactly that they're using right now, and they that might change because this is still in flux. Um it looks like they're using the Revo heater core, so the, the ceramic heater um, that's on the Revo and th that entire assembly, but they are sticking with traditional uh, M6 nozzles. Um, mm. At least that's what I what I saw from the from the video. Um, so not the quick change Revo nozzles, though. It if you look at what the what the filament path looks like um, at the picture where you see the uh, the large gear, the, the drive gear. It almost mm -hmm. looks like a like a Revo or Hermera heat break sticking up into that, but yeah, it, it from what I can tell, it's the heater, but it's standard nozzles. Mm. Yeah, I think they're also using the same um, like the surgical needle stainless steel tubing, um, which is a really good solution for a heat break. Um, I find it good that they're sticking with like the M6 standard because if you have one of these machines, you want to use it with a vast range of different materials so this still gives you the option yeah um i haven't really seen on the pictures if there's also kind of a like slice engineering is doing um a a support for the uh, for the heat break that mm -hmm. if you're changing the nozzle not all of the torque goes through the um oh, through the heat break. That. uh well yeah, yeah. Well, no, some some companies give give less uh, or care less about the patents than others. Yeah. But this hardened is engineered by E3D, so I yeah. would assume they would be respecting others' IP. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. In either case, it's it's not the Revo nozzle; it's standard nozzles. Um, but of course, if you want to switch nozzles. You've got a tool changer in there too. So, um, obviously, well, obviously, did, did you see this coming? Did you see the, well, that they kind of teased it, right? But would you have thought that they would build an entire tool changer on the Excel? If I would not have heard the rumors, I would not have expected that. Yeah. Um, but since they have always gone a bit in the direction of multi-material or multi-color 3d printing with the mmus i think it's a good solution it i think it's i think it's okay that they did that they did it and I, I think it doesn't really harm the design that much because you can still get the xl with just one tool which is pretty yeah. cheap and if you're paying 1500 dollars more you're getting five tools all in all yeah. So one let's, let's let's go through the prices real quick. Um what is that? VAT included wise there a hundred buck difference. Anyway, so the, the single tool head is around two thousand euros, um the dual tool tool head is around two and a half thousand euros, and the 
Penta toolhead is around 3,500. Oh, that's euros and dollars. Okay. 3,700 yeah. euros. Um, so does the, does the single still have the, um, the tool changer mount? I was asking myself the same thing. Um, I, well, judging from the price difference. So they're charging 500 bucks if you are adding an additional tool and they are charging 1500 bucks for four additional tools. So I would think that this would be the case because yeah, every tool is five, every tool is 500 bucks more. That's crazy. Yeah, that's. That's quite a lot. Um, that is a lot for an for an extruder. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much electronics they're adding to it, but five hundred bucks. Five hundred bucks. It's quite steep. You can get quite yeah. a few Hemeras for that, um, yeah. and add your own Do It Three expansion board with that as well. So yeah. So I guess um, does it look that way? Can't really say. I I I would think that all that you have the the changing option even with like just the one tool head just because that you don't have like different versions of the mounting system and things like that but i since the mounting system adds complexity and adds also well decreases rigidity it might be a good option if you're just having like the one tool version to yeah mount it directly on the carriage yeah they might have some dummy part in there to have mm. the same geometry but it mm. just gets screwed together um and it's mm. fixed if you're look if you're looking at the pictures it seems that the sled is missing where the uh, where the tool attaches attaches on the one tool version but they will be releasing the printer in like six seven eight months yeah. um so there's St still st a lot to change there stuff will definitely change yeah. until it's, it's released yeah. um so pricing wise i, I Honestly, I would have thought it would be. I I, I would have guessed it was going to be more expensive. Um, so mm -hmm. the two thousand one hundred euro starting price for the single tool head. I honestly I thought it would be more expensive because I mean Prusa are always in the premium price tier, and if you look at what mm -hmm. others are charging for printers of that caliber, um, yeah. it's still on the lower end of that price range. So what 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 I like about this is that there is now a a good solid option for a larger printer um mm. the what, what what printers are there that go to 36 by 36 by 36 centimeters i would have said ultimaker nope. s5 before but it does it, it's not that big it's just like 300 by 300 i think not even 300 by 300 yeah the s5 um, fairly tiny for what it is yeah, yeah. um the sigma of course printers? you have the sigma printers you have the DIY options with the Voron, but like a Voron in that size, as I said, yeah. uh, yeah. <sighs> of course you can go to not premium brands, but more, more professional brands, but then you are paying for such a machine in that range, at least 10,000 bucks, yeah. five to 10,000 bucks. There it's is the Creality. Uh, CR ten five hundred. Yeah, they, they have they have bigger options, but bad slingers at that size. Ooh, that's. I'm I'm so what I'm what I'm regularly faced with is um, 
mostly like a company or semi-professional user is asking, hey, I need to print large parts. What can you recommend? And at that level, you can't, you can't recommend a Creality. Like, no way. It, it, you can't put that in a, in a professional environment and say, yeah, this is going to be our production machine that we can rely on. <laughs> nah, as, as good as they are. I mean, Creality printers, for, for what they cost, are amazing machines. But I would never put it in a pro environment. Um, stuff like stuff like the Voron. Fantastic machine. I love my Voron 2.4 that I'm holding on to right now to stretch my shoulder. Um, love that thing. But it took me 30 hours to build it. And you're on your own. You don't get any support mm. unless you rely on the forums and discords and stuff. But then it's, it's still like you have to figure stuff out yourself. And you were the one building it. You were the one responsible for the machine. You don't get anyone else to blame anything on. Um, so as much as the Warren, yeah, you can build it a good bit cheaper probably, and it might perform better, but it's, it's just not the same, uh, Mm. the same market. It's, it's a, it's a different application. It's a different machine. So Mm. yeah, if anything, I mean, I, I don't know if the Prusa XL is going to be good. I don't know if it's going to be bug ridden or, or not. Um, but if anything, it's going to open up that market. It's going to—I think—it's going to mm. encourage more companies to to get into the larger, proper printers, um, <laughs> as, mm. as I would call them, market. Because right now, it's just—it's just super thin there. Yeah. Well, the, not everyone has the necessity for such a big machine. Oh, but it's but really it's, nice to have one that large. <laughs> it's really nice to have one that large, but that largeness always comes with a downside like for example what i always point out there is for example the energy draw with a big bad and not i anymore. think they not anymore yeah. and this would be one of or this is this is also one of the reason um i yeah of course i'm a prusa shill yeah i pre-ordered one <laughs> or draw oh you pre-ordered one wow i pre-ordered one yeah well, well which, which, not... which one are you getting um i pre-ordered because i did it right when they uh released it because i wanted to get one quite early um i only uh, pre-ordered the one tool head version okay but i'll probably upgrade to the tool print head version uh once they are making things ready for for release and that's what they also stated that you can still change your configuration around i think pre-orders have been 200 bucks for every size right so you just put put your money in the hat and um reserve the, the spots in the queue exactly yeah. but the reason why i was always hesitant of using larger printers for my everyday machines was because of the huge beds in summer it just heats yeah. everything up it draws a lot of energy power is horribly expensive here in germany so um i stick to my to, to, to my tiny machines but i re- i'm really hoping that the Prusa XL becomes my like daily driver, what now my Mark threes are and yeah. maybe, well, and probably even more efficient. So, um, yeah, I find that kind of nice. And I think it's kind of a versatile machine. Of course, um, it's not released yet. And, and, uh, the, yeah. the printer can be really horrible because it has a lot of, uh, more features. The complexity with the 16 heat beds is already kind of high i i think i think that's figured out um what what i'm what i'm worrying more about is the the extruder and the load cell and that doing what it's supposed to do 
because that has already <laughs> been a a critical spawn in the Mark III with the opt with the new optical sensor there. Um, what I'm thinking is, I guess when the machine is will be releasing, I think things like um, jam detection and stuff like that will not properly work yet because I think this is a lot of, you need a lot of training data. You need a lot of customers and users where things are not working. I hope leveling is is easy to figure out because I guess it's kind of nice to, or kind of easy to, to, to know when the nozzle touched the bed. Um, but the other stuff, I think they're current, they will be gathering the data uh, but I think that's not that this is not working properly uh, once it releases. Um, so I'm and and this is not a feature where when on what you need to rely on. The rest, Core XY kinematics is easy. The extruder, that's of fair. course. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that's not such a huge problem. Um, I'm also thinking that they probably have this extruder running on the on the expo in, in Dubai. So they have tons and tons of hours and see if, if things fail there. I'm not too yeah. worried about that. Well, but the added complexity and I, even though I'm, I'm happy with my Mark three and my Mark two, I know a ton of people who bought even pre assembled Mark threes and had things not working properly. Um, the, the mainboard was not working and, and things like that. So, Ooh. and if you're now increasing the complexity 16 fold by 16 heated beds, there's just a higher chance that one thing might not work and might uh, ruin everything in the end. But we'll see. I hope they figure out their QC, but this is something yeah. I'm a bit worried about. Yeah. Well, I get, I guess on, on the good news is, um, They've been working on the XL for a while, so um, I, I remember that the load cell stuff that they that they've now got in the printer. They've had at least for like three or four years. They've been playing around with that sort of stuff. So yeah. I guess they they did have some time to to figure this out. And and there's there's always been I I remember I think two or three years ago there was already talk about hey we're going to have an Excel at some point so at that point they were already working on things and and figuring stuff out Mm. Um, I guess one one closing note is uh, something that I find kind of uh, silly looking is the the Prusa mini screen at the front that they've stuck on that looks such uh, so, so inappropriate I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little, the screen is good on the mini. Like, don't get me wrong, but mm. the screen is tiny on the, it looks tiny on the XL and it's just the same thing. It's, it's taken apart from their cheapest printer and sticking it on their most expensive printer. And it's like, <laughs> couldn't you have done something a bit nicer there? If, if it's working, okay. <laughs> sure, sure. People yeah. were complaining about not having a touchscreen on there. I don't um, mind that at all. I don't mind that either if it's working fine, but it has kind of become a standard for newer printers with all the MKS and SKR screens and whatever, uh, that people want to have a touch screen on the machines. Right. Uh, many of these screens are not working properly and I hate them, but this is just a, a point where people are going to complain. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, as I said to you before we started, um, my camera setup currently is a box where <laughs> a Prusa Mini uh, 
is in, which has been sitting in my office for the last months. So I have never used the Fusha Mini and I don't even know how good the screen is or how bad the screen is and how good the, the, uh, just the, menu the whole stuff. menu system works. Yeah. It works. It works really well. Um, okay. It, it works better than on the, well, they, they took a couple things out, but, uh, I think it's with firmware updates and stuff. They, I've not used my mini in a while, but, yeah, at the beginning it was like, okay, new system, new look. Okay, we've dumped down everything a bit. Um, and if you were used to the old school um, screen mm. on the on the Mark III and stuff, it did feel a bit bare bones, but it's fine. It works. Mm. It's just like what I'm saying is it's it, it looks inadequate. It just looks funny yeah. on the printer. Yeah. Like I, I would expect like a seven inch uh, tablet or something on there, and then a click wheel if you want to set temperatures and stuff. But I guess if it works, if it works. But this is the thing again. Um, they are still trying to have this thing, thing available at a quite competitive price. Yeah. And having a screen which costs five bucks on there in, co in comparison to one that costs 50 bucks, um, will result in a different, like, end consumer price. Yeah. I don't really mind that. Is How much are you actually working on that screen? Yeah, you, you start a print. And ideally, the printer does all the calibration stuff itself. So yeah. you, you wouldn't need to, to engage with that at all. And I hope that finally the Prusa web interface properly works. I'm I'm looking at this. Uh, the Excel does have some sort of network, right? I'm, I'm not finding Wi-Fi or network in the article at all. It does have networking, doesn't it? They have networking. I think okay. similar to what the Prusa Mini has, but it's not does like equ an equivalent to Octoprint or like the Duet web interface. Does the Mini have network? Wait, 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 wait. The Mini, Mini has an Ethernet port. Oh, okay. Okay. Can you do anything with the mini over Ethernet? Is the first hit that, that Google <laughs> uh, shows me. Yeah, I I don't know what what they're doing right now. Um, but my only experience with the network interface of the Prusas was with the SL one, and that was a status page, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. I think status page is is what they currently can do, but I have been so getting used to. So for the last months, I have almost purely printed with machines that have, that were running rep, 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 firm, rep, rep firmware. And I so got used to again to just one click send the G code to the machines, yes. um, control the machines with my phone and things like that. And if the push, um, XL is not supporting a proper web interface where you can start, pause and, and check on your prints, I think this is going to be bad because people will expect it. And especially if you're having companies and want to run those oh, yeah. in a print form, you need a print form management software. From from what I... I don't know if, if, if I'm making this up now or if this is something I actually heard, but I, I believe that is what they are going for as well. Well, they, no, they, they've got that they've got that for the for that Dubai print farm thing. Yeah, um, that's exactly what what they're doing with a like a farm mm. management tool, and I would mm. assume that the Excels would be supported with that as well. Yeah. So that is something that that I'm, that I'm hoping they're going to do. Yeah. It's only a logical step, and I assume they're already using something like that as a trial in their own print farm um absolutely on the mini something something i don't know 
Interesting. Yeah, you've you've pre-ordered one. I've I did not um, because I I I don't need another printer. The only reason I'd I'd get one is to test it and to try it out. And I'm hoping that Prusa will be kind enough to send one over for review um, or to loan me one at least. So I'm I'm banking on that, even though it's it might not be right at launch date, but. Here's, here's you, well, you have you 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 uh, have I think a better connection uh, to, to Prusa than I have, but Prusa is not like spamming every reviewer with review units. I don't even think that they. So my Prusa Mini that I have right here, I won in the Polymaker competition. Oh. Um, <laughs> I think they never um, approached any anyone for Prusa Mini reviews where well approached a ton of reviewers for Prusa Mini reviews besides maybe you and I don't know Joel <laughs> <laughs> did Joel ever at, le at least they they never approached me and I uh, and I well and I just thought okay it might be nice to have a review of the machine out pretty soon so why not pre-order one maybe right. affiliate sales will, will will give a bit of kickback but um seeing how many and we also kind of did a re reaction video on the <laughs> on the on the prusa xl seeing just how many covered the prusa xl launch pre-launch thing with their affiliate links below that um some of the market might already be saturated yeah uh with uh, people that already pre-ordered it and uh, that good affiliate marketing money already went to others who commented on <laughs> on those promo pictures yeah 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 with with pre-orders also with the e3d revo pre-orders it is making reviewing them much less uh attractive in the end because yeah. you like if everyone has already pre-ordered like it's it is financially unreasonable to review them and to spend the time on that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, but that is that is a whole different topic. Um, yeah. Maybe, but but maybe 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 closing this one out. Um, yeah. Probably in spring sometime. Uh, Bruce has invited me over to to see their their alpacas. Uh, maybe if you if you want to come. Hey, yeah, he also already invited us a or me a couple of times, but due to COVID, I, I never made it. But I really want to yeah. go. I really want to like just pet the alpacas. Yeah, on the on the Prusa Chateau outside of town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe maybe we can figure something out in spring. We can take a, a trip over there. Yeah, it's not far from you. Yeah, three cool. hours. Yeah, sure. maybe. Yeah. yeah, we let, let's let's move on. Maybe on the talk of smart features on the Prusa XL with the load sensing and the filament path, I stumbled over an article on 3D printing industry where Bond 3D um, was featured, which is a company that does void-free peak 3D printing. And I dug a little bit uh, deeper. They're doing FDM 3D printing with peak and what they're claiming is that their process enables them to print void free so without any porosity so that you can use their parts for holding gases and uh, liquids and the interesting approach that they are doing they also have kind of a load sensing mechanism in their machine where they measure the force 
that the um, extruded filament that's already out of the nozzle acts on the nozzle and the whole extruder assembly. And um, if the force is low, they know, okay, we can push more material. And at some point they reached more or less the point where like the whole gap is filled and um, they are somehow able to tune in the process and also their their own slicer to um, print void free and um, seeing just the load sensing unit on the Prusa XL and all the um, um, artificial intelligence and, and stuff like that all the stuff that you can do with the data that you're gathering might sorry might enable techniques and I guess in situ um, adjustment of specific settings to uh, print better parts, which means void free and uh, therefore also increase uh, the strength of these parts. Yeah, which I find kind of cool. Yeah. So what uh, what what the Bond three D um, uh, technique basically is adding? It's it's just it's adding one sensor that closes the feedback loop. So traditionally in a, in a 3D printer, you have no, the printer knows nothing about how much filament is actually pushing out. Um, yeah, it doesn't even know, like it knows how fast it's spinning the extruder, ideally, unless it's skipping steps, but it doesn't know how much filament is actually coming out. So that this sensor now, or this, the, the, what, what they're doing with the data from the sensor closes that loop. And it, I, I think it's one of the, one of the themes we're seeing more in, in 3D printing is that you're getting some sort of, of feedback, be it real-time feedback with this sort of a sensor um, mm. that can control how much filament you're extruding, or um, by doing a one-time feedback um, and using that data for, for calibration. Um, uh, da -da 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 -da, what's it called? Pressure advance, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. And what what is it called for linear motion? Uh, Input linear shaping. Advance. In, input, uh, shaping, input shaping, input shaping. Yeah. Where, where you've got uh, an accelerometer on the tool head and you're basically measuring what your machine is doing once and you're then using that in a, in a mm. model that compensates for for what your printer is doing. So yeah. just a, a, a tiny little extra sensor gives you a whole lot more, more input on what your process is doing. Um, mm. Same here, same on the, on the Prusa XL. And theoretically... Um, we, we briefly scratched on this too. Theoretically, the Prusa XL's load cell might be able to do this too, if it's not completely gimped by patents. Yep. The challenge in the end is only how to is only how to process the data and, well, adjust parameters. But this is something that might be, well. That might where might uh, where somebody might be able to figure that out um, if it's yeah not blocked totally by patents and there are patents on the void free three D printing technology that Bond three D uses but I think it just shows gathering data and um, then also analyzing processing that data might enable the the technology to just get one step forward yeah yeah absolutely. Speaking of multi-color <laughs> tool changer printing or multi-material 3D printing, Creality, or at least Creality is somehow involved uh, in that because I think it's not launching under the Creality brand, but there is a Creality MMU, um, I think currently on Kickstarter. Sorry for that. Yeah, I'm going to click. Um, it's probably going to be loud. Yep. Sorry about it's that. It's called okay. Coprint. 
Coprint 3D Printing te Technology, which is an MMU with one, two, three, four, five, seven. six, seven outputs. I think works exactly as the Prusa MMU. Um, MMU so yeah. MMU, sorry, <laughs> MMU two. Um, no, it's actually it's working like an MMU two, but it is since the Creality printers are right. Bowden driven. It actually should also feed the material into the nozzle. Um, yeah, there's a box that ba you basically strap onto your printer, uh, which has a selection mechanism for, for different filaments. And then you have one of these multiplexer parts on the, on your machine where you can, um, like feed filament from many different Bowden tubes into, into your hot end. And yeah, that, that thing should take care of everything. Um, The reason why I found it interesting is the promo pictures look horrible or the, the, the Bowden connectors print. on the promo pictures. Oh, those. Uh, yeah, there, there are printed parts in there, but I think the, the Prusa MMU is also 3D printed. So ah, it works. Sorry if that was loud. Um, um oh, there, there is, there is the, there's the multiplexer. Wow. That looks, that looks wild. Yeah. It's, yeah, the multiplexer looks wild. <laughs> so it's like um, a huge funnel that's sitting uh, on top of your, on top of your hot end. I would imagine that that thing, oh, we can just check the Kickstarter price. What's it on Kickstarter? I would imagine that's something around a hundred bucks. Uh, 329 or more. 329. Pounds, okay. British pounds. So $439 for one co-print super early bird. Okay, so I, I found that I find that price ridiculous because I I thought that this might be a nice option for someone who doesn't want to spend the money on a mosaic palette. But a mosaic palette is just a little bit more expensive. I, I don't know how much they. I have no idea how much they are. Would have guessed there would be more, but uh, the palette is so it's. I think 600 bucks starting from the smallest version. Of course, okay. it's still more expensive, but that MMU thing, it's just like two stepper motors, two, three, two stepper motors and a bit of electronics. I find that it's, really. It expensive. does, does it have, does it have the cutter? I don't think it does. It has the cutter from the, from the MMU too, right? It takes off the little filament wisps that are stuck to your, uh, to the end of your spool. I have no clue. Nah, it it looks yeah. like it's just the one stepper motor that engages the um, the extruder drive and a screen and a little touch knob. So for that, yeah, and of course you get the you get the multiplexer itself. But that sounds it, it is quite expensive, which which gets me thinking. Like the three twenty nine pounds, that might be more expensive than than what it would retail for. Um, because there is no, I think mm. uh, Kickstarter is actually um, not permitting you to say, oh, if you buy, you, you save X amount over mm. uh, the retail price. Well, okay, it says 20% off. Technically, Kickstarter isn't allowing that, but they're doing it anyways. Um, but like 20% off. So future retail price would be basically 500 bucks, over 500 bucks yeah. for, the, uh, for this thing. It still requires you to print huge perch blocks, so no advantage there compared to, for example, a mosaic palette. Um, it might be 
uh, an, a nice and easy option for the Creality 3D printers, but I would have suspected a way cheaper price. Yeah, uh, they've got a they've got a fun little uh, comparison table here where they're comparing the co-print to the Palette 3 Pro, to the Prusa MMU, to an IDEX 3D printer and an industrial printer. <laughs> uh, user interface. Coprint has a user interface. Palette has a user interface. Five stars. Prusa MMU, no user interface. Two stars. <laughs> because you don't need one because it's handled by the printer. It's, yeah... Um, Interesting. I mean, the, 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 what, what I do like about this project, though, is that they're just using Prusa Slicer. Um, it's you, you. You don't seem to agree with that that much, but it's the it's such an obvious choice because it is a it is a ripoff of the Prusa MMU with two more filaments. So why not use the slicer that Prusa created for that exact application? Um, I keep see, I keep saying this um, quite often with uh, 3D printer manufacturers where they think they need their own slicer for their own printer where it's like, oh, we've now got Creality Slicer and Elegu Slicer and it's just a skinned version of Cura. Why not just use Prusa Slicer and submit your own profile? Prusa Slicer 3.4 now has a profile so the Voron baked in for all the different Voron sizes, yep. which is really cool. I've seen that. Um, and you can do that like, like they are doing here. Just add your own profiles and... There you go. You've got a, a, yeah. a world-class slicer for free with yeah. Prusa branding, obviously, but <laughs> hey, it shouldn't be a surprise that it is basically a Prusa MMU2 that's, that's being copied here. Um, yeah. is, there, is there any other option of, of adding an MMU2-style setup to your printer? Is there like a universal MMU that you can add to an Ender? What's, what's the the MMU thing that works on the Voron. So Nero 3D has been playing around with a thing I've seen on Twitter for, for the quite a while. The Enraged Rabbit Carrot Feeder. Maybe. <laughs> I think I think that's it, yeah. Oh, AliExpress. Oh, we can, you can get a kit on AliExpress of the en Enraged Kaninchen Karote Feeder. Um, which has <laughs> five outputs. It looks like it has a cutter. Yeah. Um, or this one, is this a cutter or is this a, a filament, uh, a bowden tube offsetter? Here, I'm going to, I'm going to drop the link in our, our show notes here real quick. Yeah. There we go. Um, how much is it? Oh, that's just 100, 100, 150 bucks. bucks with the yeah. motor. Oh, you can get it with nine size nine. Is that nine filaments? Yeah. 170 bucks. That's pretty good. But of course, you don't get any support, any software. You have to. Um, oh, and it doesn't include printed parts. You have to figure it out yourself, basically. <laughs> and I guess it's only working for direct driven machines. But yeah, there are options there, not many. But yeah, at that price tag, I feel find it a bit expensive on the um what's it called the color print co-print co-print yeah yeah and of course it's it's still it's still a multiplexer system with all the ups and downs of that um of course you have no calibration that you need to do um but you are wasting a lot of filament on just printing priming towers just to get the old color out mm -hmm. of your nozzle um you have the problem that the retract cycle um, on the filament is really finicky um, if you don't do it right you end up with like long strings on the filament that can end up clogging uh, the filament path for others 
And yeah, you have you have quite long switchover cycles because you need to retract the filament all the way out of the hot end um, mm. and back to the um, to your to your septa extruder to your seven x extruder. Um, mm. No, no, actually, you just need to extrude uh, you just need to retract it um, out of the out of the multiplexer, right? Um, but still. With that, with priming, with the cycles for that, it does add time over over even a tool changer um, or an IDX printer. I think IDX printers are still very much a valid choice if you just need two. Um, yeah. But yeah, comes with its downsides, comes with some upsides. Upside, obviously, is you can use it with any printer. Um, but yeah. Interesting concept, um, and people seem to like it. It's already funded at 121,000 euros out of their 8,000 euro goal, so that was probably like $10,000 or something. Besides somebody, I, I guess, emailing me that link, I haven't seen it featured anywhere. I'm always asking myself if there are services where you can buy <laughs> Kickstarter supporters. <laughs> Just for for promo, but uh, yeah, so you, you can have maybe, maybe oh, funded funded in two hours, funded in two hours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> classic. Uh, let's let's yeah. not let's not let's make any any questions. unfunded accusations. Yeah, no. Nope. Uh, let's shoot a couple of questions, and I think then we can wrap this one up. We're already getting quite long. Yeah. Um, so this one is from Twitter, from Mr. Unbekannt 2.0. Um, hello at the Melt Zone. Is this some kind of new 3D printing technology or just an optimization of existing technology? And I assume he uh, is sharing a link to BR Automation, where they have a process that basically, so that they're saying they are combining the advantages of injection molding with 3D printing. So what they're doing is they're 2D printing individual layers and then they're fusing those cutouts or, or prints essentially to each other to make a 3D model. Which is pretty cool and pretty novel. Not completely novel. I've seen sort of a process like that before where the printer uses uh, inkjet paper, printer paper, cuts mm. it out with a drag knife and then stacks it on top of each other with like a, with a spray adhesive or something. Um, but this is actually doing 2D printed layers and then stacking those on top. Have you seen that before, Stefan? I've only seen like the paper thing. Yeah. But yeah, another one of these processes. Not 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 uh, sure. It's kind of sad. Maybe maybe things like that would have been like presented at Form Next. It's an interesting concept. Well, uh, it all, I guess it always depends what, what materials you can use, what the end properties are, and if it is really 10 times faster than an industrial 3D printer. Because, for example, SLS 3D printers are already really fast. I know that EOS is working on an, a matrix laser SLS printer. The oh. So... Instead of having just one laser beam that exposes a layer, you have basically um, a laser array where you have a print yeah. head that is, uh, well, going all of uh, all over your your powder bed and really fuses those layers together very fast. Um, and for example, the HP multi jet fusion is also really fast with the binder and then just 
a quick yeah. swipe with a lamp to 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 fuse everything together. So, um, I yeah. guess I guess if you have rigid two D layers that you're stacking, you're at least enabling some new geometry options uh, without mm -hmm. using support materials. So overhangs, at least like perfectly horizontal overhangs, yeah. wouldn't be a problem anymore because you've got one rigid layer that you just stack on top of the other. Mm -hmm. uh, you you're printing that onto a separate bed, um, and then stacking that. So pretty cool and, and also if you I, I don't know how this process exactly works but what you could do is you could add parallelization to this so 10 times faster yeah just use 10 printer mechanisms that print one layer at a time and then use one use the next one use mm. the next one while the others are already printing again so that yeah. definitely could speed things up yeah the question in the end is is, is if this is feasible for also like very tiny uh, um, details on parts. I know that one really efficient metal 3D printing process or actually sintering 3D process is, is using, for example, um, screen printing, where you screen print layers on top of each other because and then you have screens are... Um, you have a custom-made screen for every layer? Screen for every layer, exactly. So this is only working if you have really simple geometry. It is nice for if you just have an extrusion profile, but I, then I don't really know like, what the point of all of that is. But there are kind of efficient 3D printing processes that in the end turn out only work for a very small range of, of parts and details. Right. But to answer the question of uh, Mr. Unbekannt, is this some kind of new 3D printing technology? Yeah, pretty much. We, neither one of us has seen it. So I would I would <laughs> check that box for novel at the very yeah. least. So um, Stefan Daurer has been asking on YouTube, um, hardware thermal fuses like the ESKA 771-10 in the bed should be mandatory insult printers just in line with heater heat bed. Um, he says that you shouldn't only rely on software thermal runaway protection. Why not include thermal fuses on, well, heater beds and also on heaters themselves? I have seen a thermal fuse on my Voron Zero where a 125 degrees thermal fuse is is installed but i haven't seen any other printer so far where um this concept is applied question yep. is why so same on my my voron 2.4 also has the thermal fuse on the bottom i think that's just standard practice for the vorons um i i think i remember seeing thermal fuses on like the very early hot ends that people were building um, before heater cartridges when, when you were still wire wrapping um, a, a resistive wire around whatever brass thing you drilled up yourself um, i think at that point sometimes you were seeing thermal fuses but of course the size is a bit you know it's a bit drastic for a hot end if you have that 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 block that you have to chuck or attach it somewhere why are they not being used more? I mean, for the for a hardened, really, it's yeah. There's there's no real downside to using it except for the cost and the extra effort. But also, is it worth using it on a hardened or on a, on, a, on a heated bed? Um, unless you have a powerful heater like on the Voron, where stuff can go mm -hmm. wrong very quickly. Even on a 
Hmm. You would need to have a double fault in that case for it to make sense. So on a on a regular PCB heater on or on, on, on your cheaper printers, even if you continuously power the bed, it's not gonna get any hotter than 140 degrees, maybe. Um, because you, your temperature dissipation from the bed is just so large compared to how much energy you're putting or how much power you're putting into it um, that it physically cannot get any hotter. So the only ways for that to fail would be with what, what's usually called a double fault, where first, the firmware doesn't catch the error, and second of all, there's some way where there's more power applied to the bed, like, um, I don't know, a, a mounting spring shorting out a track. That has happened mm. before, and all of a sudden you don't have um, you don't have a, a 1 ohm resistance, but a 0.5 ohm, and it draws double the power. So that's already two faults um, that are happening. Um, and very often in, in consumer electronics, it's like, well, double faults is not something that we should be concerned about because like you know either one should be caught and that both happen at the same time is very unlikely depends on the individual case of course but i think for for most cases it's just well it it's either very unlikely that this would happen that that you'd get a, a runaway or the consequences would be very non-dramatic um on a hot end Depends on the setup, of course. Uh, some hotters are also quite underpowered. But as we've, we've discussed last time, um, a Prusa can melt a Peter block. So if you, you can, you can have a single fault there. If the thermistor doesn't read well, um, or if there's something wrong with the firmware, the firmware gets stuck, you could potentially melt on your heater block and bad stuff to happen. So mm. I think at that point, it's really just, is, is there a thermal fuse that is small enough? To be integrated into a hot end. I mean, what's what's you you entertain the audience a moment? I'll, I'll try to find a thermal <laughs> fuse here. <laughs> well, you 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 basically would need to include it into the heater cartridge, heater cartridge, because you have to reroute or you kind of have to reroute the power through the fuse somehow and then back into the heater cartridge. I guess the thing is the heater cartridge. I guess definitely gets warmer than for example 300 degrees celsius uh because there needs to be a temperature gradient especially yeah. during uh, uh heating up in my opinion yeah of course it would be a good thing if something like that would be the standard um but maybe the better option is to s just switch the the heating elements themselves like um yeah e3d is now doing um with their ceramic heaters that um just don't well inherently don't get any hotter than than a specific temperature i think this would be the better option the thermal fuse is just a walk around where you would have where you would need um the the double fault well i mean in, in some cases fuses like electrical fuses they are there because it it basically takes up or it 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 when something else goes wrong, the fuse is the thing that catches that. Um, and it's the only thing that catches that. In the 3D printer, you, you already have a system with the, with the thermistor, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm finding, I'm finding microthermal fuses here. Um, they do exist. They look like they're about the size of a thermistor cartridge. However, um, either they're not rated for DC, um, mm -hmm. which, I guess at 12 volts, it's not really an issue, but there can be an issue with arcing. 
Um, in these applications with AC always has a zero cross, so the arc um, gets extinguished automatically. So either they're not rated for DC or um, they don't have the temperature range they would need. So all the ones that I'm finding top out at um, 240. 240 maximum yeah. open temperature and 200 degrees holding temperature. Um, I guess they are they're based on on a polymer typically, um, and not some bimetal um, strip. If you had some bimetal assembly, I guess you could go higher in temperature, but then you, you obviously you add size. You add a lot of size yeah. um, with those smaller thermal fuses. Two forty. That's that's all I'm finding. Yeah, and maybe maybe somebody has has pictures of one of the like really ten old. Uh, self-wound hotends where something like that was implemented. As I said, I would prefer just having a, a heating element that can exceed a specific temperature, let it be 350, 400 degrees Celsius, which is still fine and would not cause any burning or melting. Yeah, you, you will get a lot of smoke. Your Your plastic will not be happy, but... Yeah, you, you're at least preventing stuff from melting down. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, Jesus, I, I I kept looking here, but they don't seem to exist at that temperature range. Yeah. Hmm. And last question for today um, from Hatfield Flightcraft. Love your podcast. I have only just started, and I'm working my way back through your older content. I'm wondering how view count impacts your income. I've been only consuming the audio through, through Google. Uh, I'm getting exhausted. I've, I've, I've only been consuming the audio through Google Podcasts and would like to make sure you two get the most credit for my consumption of your content. I will start streaming from YouTube and listening with the screen turned off if it is more beneficial. Please keep up the content here and on the individual channel. So thank you, Hatfield Flightcraft. Um, our, Stefan, I checked our stats. You checked the stats? Which, which ones? Check the stats. I don't know. Uh, what, what did you want to say? I checked the stats and for the 12 episodes we did this year, we had a, an ad revenue on YouTube, which was 500 US dollars before tax. Yay. So, um, the podcast doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> nah, it's so, so if it was a pure effort to revenue like we would we would be doing this except for i mean maybe we, we have a sponsor to every now and then that does bring in a bit extra cash but of course we, we split yep. that 50 50 between us um so yeah but youtube is the only one that that's paying yeah yeah um audio streams through google podcasts spotify apple podcasts whatever other platforms build on that zero nada um, you might see ads on, on Spotify or wherever, but that ad revenue goes to Spotify or to the platform exclusively, and we see zero of that. Yeah. Um, so don't worry. Lis listen with your podcast app of choice. Um, it won't make us more poor or more rich, uh, depending on what you're choosing. That's, I guess that's fine. Yeah. And if you want to support us, of course, there's Patreon. Um, we can now activate channel channel memberships. We probably should take a look at that. Uh, did, did we talk um, about this last? I think we should, yeah. Yeah, I think we talked about that last <laughs> time. Um, yeah, and maybe you need to deal with 
one or the other sponsor spot um, in one of these podcasts because they are rather paying the bills than, um, yeah, than the ad revenue. And of course, if there are affiliate links below the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the podcast, they also help us out, but choose what is most comfortable for you. Um, and if it's the podcast player, that's totally fine. Absolutely. So with that, um, thanks for listening anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's fine. We're, we're doing this because we get to chat about cool stuff and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it gets people onto our main channels. If you, if that, that's, that's like the only way we can, we can make revenue off of this basically. And it kind of keeps, keeps us also sane from time to time. If you're if you're just doing too much in your own bubble in your own studio, um, talking to somebody like-minded is kind of nice Absolutely. as well. I, I I do enjoy this uh, very much. So with that, Stefan, thank you for taking the time today. Uh, thanks for your time, Tom. Thanks everyone for listening, watching. Um, like I said, if you want to support us, you can do so on Patreon um, or through the channel memberships, either I guess on this channel or on our individual channels. Um, but just like watch, watch our stuff. Give a yep. give a thumbs up, subscribe. That's 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 more than we could ask for. Um, hope you enjoyed, and we will see you all in the next one. Bye bye. In the next one. Bye bye. <laughs>